Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Well, welcome everyone. Welcome back to The Catch and uh, our Tuesday night blog talk radio show where we interview uh, various people who are seeking to put their faith uh, into practice in the real world that we live in every day, making those connections uh, for all of us between faith and real life. And uh, that's what we love to do here at The Catch. And so we love to talk to people who are, are, are truly working at that. And uh, uh, one of those people who is our, one of our favorite guests and uh, doesn't need a lot of introduction, and I don't want to <laughs> waste time with introduction because we want to have as much to talk about uh, with him as we can, is our, our good friend Oz Guinness. And Oz has uh, just released, in the last few weeks, uh, a new book called The Quest, Invitation to an Examined Life and a Sure Path to Meaning. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And this is going to be a great show and one I hope you'll tell your friends about. So, uh, Oz, welcome back to Blog Talk Radio at the Catch. Thank you, John. What a delight to be with you again. Yes. Um, okay, Oz, this is really. Uh, I think I don't know. I feel like this book is a bit of a departure for you. For one, it's it's a little over a hundred pages, and I didn't even know you could <laughs> you know write anything that short. <laughs> and uh, uh, the other. The other is um, it's just a, a little different uh, in its content. You're seeking to uh, speak to people who are on a, on, on a search. And um, uh, I just have appreciated reading it so much. Tell me where this came from. Has this been, you know, kind of knocking around in your head for a long time or, uh, you know, what, what brought this book about? No, you're right, John. I've written four or five books on American freedom and the current crisis, some of which were a little longer. But as you know, we, you and I met way back in the 60s when many people were searching and wrestling and arguing and debating. And so yes. I've always had this interest from then on to try and make sense of the faith to those outside. So, you know, the call is much more personal. And I have a book on doubt and another book called Long Journey Home. So I I actually got a number like this, and I've got one coming on what's called Signals of Transcendence. But this, you're right, this is personal. And it's written for people who really want to search and ask, is there any meaning to life? So it sets out a thinking person's quest for meaning. 
Now, of course, people who are Christians can read it to sort of think back over how they came to faith, you know, however long ago it was, yeah. and to see some of the benchmarks along the way. And then, of course, it's a book that Christians can read and give to friends who are seekers. So it, it's written for the seeker. Yeah, yeah. You talk a lot in this book about the examined life and, of course, uh uh, the the major quote there is from Socrates on the uh, the unexam- unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, talk, talk to us about the examined life. And, and is that something that that we all should do to some extent, or is that just for certain people who are really intellectual? No, no, no. Everyone. <laughs> You know, what's amazing is you read a lot of modern philosophy, or one book I can think of in particular says that the meaning of life, the search for the meaning of life, is for madmen and comedians. Now, that's absolutely crazy. If you think every word we say or smile or frown we have has meaning, you hate it if you're put into the middle of a film and you don't know the beginning of the film or how it's going to end. You want to know the storyline, what's about. And if that's true in the sort of day-to-day experience, how much more true is it in terms of life as a whole? So Socrates is saying, you know, if you really think enough and care enough, you'll think through the meaning of things and the whys of things, and yet many people don't. So if you take Socrates' idea seriously, the unexamined life is not worth living, there are millions of Americans who are leading lives not worth living. They haven't Mm. even started to think enough and care enough working out what the meaning of life is. Because if you want to live life to the full, you know, lead a life that is, I call it, worthy of life, because life's incredible, then you want to think through the meaning of life. Yeah. You know, Oz, in the first part of your book, you spend a long time talking about this. And um, uh, you, you really did develop not only why it's important, but you also talk a lot about why we don't. What are the obstacles uh, that we get caught up in? Can you talk a little bit about that, uh, why this is so hard for many people? Well, that's always puzzled me. And so I've read a lot, talked to people a lot. And I think there are two main reasons. One is what the great French scientist Pascal, Blaise Pascal, called Mm. diversions. In other words, at the end of life, he said, is death, mortality. But we really don't want to face things like that, the ugly part of life. So we surround ourselves with busy, entertaining distractions. And then we don't have to think. You know, he was writing in the 17th century. But if you think of triple screen gazing today with our mobile phones <laughs> and so on. Oh, yeah. You, you could be caught up with that, video games, et cetera, et cetera. Never give a thought to anything deeper about life. The second reason is what is called bargaining. In other words, people say, yes, that's very important, but later. You know, when I graduated from college and uh, my kids are a little older, the mortgage is paid off, and when I retire and so on and so on, later. And, of course, finally, no more laters. And you think of the figure of Faust in Christopher Marlowe or Goethe. Mm -hmm. And Faust was the person who wanted more time more knowledge, more experience, more sexual conquest, whatever it was. And so he Mm. bargains with the devil 
with his soul. Now, of course, and you know from the Faust stories, the devil has read the small print, and Faust hasn't. And finally, no more later. And you think of the words of Jesus himself, who said in one of his stories, you fool, tonight your soul's required of you. And so, you know, we, we can not think in a thousand ways. I mean, put simply, in our modern world, with all the prosperity and comfort we have, and, you know, you live in California, what more pleasant living could there possibly be? We have so much to live with that we don't bother to think what we're living for, and that's what the meaning of life is about. Wow. How, uh, well, how can we begin to think, how can you change people's minds, Oz? I mean, how, how, do, how do you get people thinking along these lines when they have such a tendency to want to run away from these things? Well, what my book does is try and just set out the phases of the journey. Because as you know, the journey is the picture of human life that's probably the most common in the whole world, whether in the East or here in the West. And you think of how many of the great classics you know, from the Odyssey downwards, are based on the idea of a journey. And so for me, stage one of the quest is always a time for questions. Suddenly someone is tripped up by a question breaking into their life. Hmm. And then they, they need an answer, and so they become a seeker. Now, hmm. of course, many, many people, maybe most people, don't even reach stage one. And that's the sad thing. They never become seekers. And so I've got in that part of the book the various reasons, you know, the ways in which people start to think through and are forced to trigger to think through the meaning of life. I'm, mm-hmm. You just take the seasons of life. You know, 18 to 25 used to be called the big seven. Now it goes on into the 40s yeah. with delayed adolescence. But, you know, that was the period when people thought through what job were they going to take, their career. Who are they going to marry? And what was the faith by which they were going to live? So many people think it through at that time, college years or just after. And then, of course, you've got crises like health. And you've got what Solzhenitsyn it's in called the crowbar of events in history. You think how the collapse of the Soviet Union? All over the world, there were people who were online Marxists who gave it up. But I've above all concentrated on what my mentor and friend, Peter Berger, called signals of transcendence. Mm. Because people have experiences that puncture whatever they used to believe and Mm. point beyond it in some way, which, if true, they'd have to search for the answer. You know, the most famous of all in the last century was C.S. Lewis. You remember he was an atheist for a long time. A hard-boiled mm-hmm. atheist, and he was surprised by joy. It wasn't happiness, circumstances. It wasn't pleasure, depending on the senses. It was joy. Mm-hmm. And that spurred him to look for the source of whatever this could be. And for more than 10 years, he was a seeker until he found. But it was that experience, a signal of transcendence, which punctured his previous belief, atheism, spurred him out as a seeker. Wow, wow. Oz, don't you think, too, that even uh, – we've been talking a lot about seekers who aren't Christians. But, you know, what about Christians? Now, uh, don't you think that 
um, for a lot of them, they think incorrectly about que- that questions are a lack of faith and you shouldn't have questions. You should have everything solved and know the answers to everything. And, uh, you know, there, isn't that a problem, too? Oh, absolutely. That, what you just described, John, is plain rubbish. <laughs> you know, take our Jewish friends, by contrast. They encourage kids from three, four, and five onwards constantly to raise questions. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're such great thinkers over the centuries. And we mm-hmm. stifle questions. I mean, yeah. most people asked a lot of questions as a kid. How come this? And how come that? And how come the other? In other words, kids are very curious. And then we grow up and adults have shut us off and whatever, and people stop asking questions. And that's crazy. Now, when Christians mm-hmm. don't, there are far too many Christians in this country who, quote, just believe. I had a yeah. problem. Jesus is the answer. I believe. <laughs> and they've never thought through why they believe what they believe. Now, actually, for me, that's above all stage three, a time for evidences. But when that stage is missed out, people are mm. believing, often for no reason at all. And then you have an objection. You go to university or wherever, and someone says, ah, I'm a Freudian, I know. You're believing because you need to. It's a projection, a wish fulfillment, whatever. And unless you know why faith is true, you have no answer to objections like that. And too many people are just giving it up. John, John, you take the nuns, religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the rising tide of those with a receding faith. Yeah. In other words, they're nominal Christians who didn't really know why they believed, and they're just dropping out in droves. But put Mm. it this way, if the faith is true, it would be true if nobody believed it. It would still be Mm. true. If it were false, it would be false if everyone in the world was enthusiastic about it. (laughs) In other words, truth or falseness is incredibly important to faith, but many people just skipped out that stage and believed with a big leap with no rationality behind it at all. Now, faith is much more than reason, but we need to know why we believe what we believe. Oh, my. Oz, you really opened a a big bag right there. Just because truth is so hard to talk about today, uh, even compared to back in the 60s and 70s, people still had a concept that there was truth somewhere. But now, don't you agree? A lot of that is just up for grabs. It's totally relevant to whatever I want it to be. Yes, but actually truth has become easier to talk about because in ah. our postmodern era, post-truth, it's more precious and important than ever. In other words, what we're facing goes back to dear old Friedrich Nietzsche, above all in the 1880s. And when he cried out that God is dead, he also argued truth is dead. But here's the problem. If God is dead and truth is dead, then all that is left is power. And that's the problem where we are today. Now, if you think, people say, of course, there's no truth. Everything's relative, etc., etc., etc. But you think of things that assume and require truth. Science would collapse tomorrow without truth. Journalism without truth is all fake news. We've got too much of that now. 
Mm. Business talks a lot about trust in business. You can't have trust without truth and trustworthiness. And you think of something very simple like a good family. Trust is at the heart of love in a good family. Now, in each of those cases, much of the basics of life assumes and requires truth. And the idea that we can do without it is utter folly because if there's no truth and everything's power, the victory goes to the strong and the weak go to the wall. And nobody likes to be manipulated. And we're all manipulated by the government or otherwise if there's no truth. So you're right. We're in a postmodern era, the post-truth era. But it's utterly disastrous. And for Christians above all who think truth is so precious and so important, this is actually a great time to talk about it and to champion it. Wow, that is that is really helpful. Uh, I, I thank you, especially for that. Uh, you know, um, remember when you talk about when we first met and those early years, you go back to the 70s and Labrie, all your time there. You know, isn't it true, though, that, that a lot, most of the people that came to Labrie were kids that grew up in the church? They were... Even kids, kids of evangelicals who were actually starting to ask a lot of questions about their faith, and and there weren't many people who were open to answering those questions and helping them along. Isn't that right? No, uh, but no, it's not right, John. Oh, no, you're oh, right. Okay. There were a lot of people. There was a proportion of people like that. You're absolutely right about mm-hmm. that. But okay. there were many, many people who had absolutely no Christian background at all. Okay. I mean, we had members of the Charles Manson gang. We had Bader Meinhof gang members. We had Timothy Leary, the LSD expert, mm-hmm. came through. We had some amazing people who were Buddhists and Hindus and French existentialists and so on. And that was the 60s was a great decade, the early 70s too, of people wrestling and thinking. You had to Think back to square one if you believed anything and know how you could defend it. Otherwise, someone would trample all over you in arguments. So down below Labrie, and Labrie was 3,000 feet up in the mountains, down below the crossroads, say, on the way in uh, the Rhone Valley, you'd always find five or six hitchhikers at a crossroads. One might be reading Friedrich Nietzsche. One might be reading Siddhartha, Hermann Hesse's Siddhartha. One might be reading C.S. Lewis, and people would be debate. read this, man, read that. And they'd yeah. send us people up to the re. So you're right. There were a lot of Christians who had problems, sometimes Christian rebels, sons of very mm-hmm. famous American <laughs> pastors and so on. But there were equally far out people into all sorts of things, atheism, the occult, French existentialism, you name it. Oh, wow. That's you know, now, I had the wonderful custom. When people came to faith, rather like it was a wonderful life, you know, the angel bell ringing, Schaefer would put his funny little music system in the window and play out over the Rhone Valley, the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> wherever, wherever you were in the community, you know, someone else had come home to faith. Oh, my. <laughs> wow, I never heard that story. That's beautiful. Um you know, as you may have noticed that there seems to be in the last couple of years a resurgence 
of talk about those years, uh, the Jesus movement. Now we've got the Jesus music film that came out last year. Uh, uh, Wheaton College put t- together a uh, oral history of the Jesus movement. I was involved with some of that. And then I guess in production right now is a Jesus revolution movie. These are feature length movies, Lionsgate frontline movies, and that's going to be out probably about a year from now. What, what do you think is going on? Uh, do you think people are maybe open again to, to seeking some answers or looking into Jesus? What, where is this all coming from, do you think? Well, that particular movement, I don't know. In other words, the Jesus movement itself, if you looked at the 60s, the further out it went and the more disastrous it came. So the, the utopianism of much, you say, the hippie movement and the pacifist, mm-hmm. you know, broke down after Altamont and the violence there and the Rolling Stones concert and so on. Um, and then people were more and more disillusioned. It hadn't worked out as they thought. The so-called counterculture wasn't working. And so they were open to returning to the faith. And for many of them, the Jesus movement was a kind of radical movement that would be better to go back to than the square churches and so on. Now, why the interest today, I don't know. And part of it, I'm afraid, is commercial. Uh, and there yeah. are all sorts of reasons, but we are <laughs> yeah. at an extraordinary moment. So that would, to me, be a minor eddy. If you look in a bigger picture way, we're at a civilizational moment in the West. So there's no question that the Christian faith, Jewish and Christian faiths, made the West. But we've turned against the faiths that made us, and we're now a cut flower civilization. So the West is an extraordinary moment. It can either be re- see renewal or go down to decline. And there are many, many writers and others who see that the West is in serious decline. And so the status of faith is very, very important, above all, of course, for individuals. That's why I'm writing a book for individuals. But it's incredibly important for our Western culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, the same thing is true of America. In other words, if we go the way of the radical left and the ideas coming from there, that's the end of the American Republic, the end of freedom, etc., 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 and so on. So it's not – I've written for the individual, the seeker. That's my passionate concern with this book. Yeah. But if you think in a wider way, there are huge cultural overtones of where we are now. Faith is one of the key issues. Hmm. Hmm. Um. You know, uh, back back in those days, there was a bumper sticker that went around on a lot of cars uh, in the Many 70s. Many of them. <laughs> yeah, but this one particular one, I'm sure you probably remember, it was called I Found It. And uh, I think it was a Campus Crusade deal. And the whole idea of I Found It was uh, to raise – the question, you know, what have you found? And so that we could share our faith with people. Um, I, I know it had all good intentions, but um, for some people, that kind of means that once they become a Christian, that the search is over. Uh, I found it. I got it. We're, we're done now. Um, uh, 
four believers, does the quest go on? Of course. In other words, what I've tried to describe in the book is the journey, the quest, to faith itself. But that begins the real journey, which is following the call, and it's a long and winding road through the rest of our lives, following the call of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, until death itself becomes the moment when we see the Lord. In all through this life, we only hear his voice. We hear his voice in the scripture, through preaching, through the Holy Spirit, and so on. But the day mm-hmm. we come to the end of our life is the climax, because then we see the Lord, not just hear him, see him face to face. So the whole of life is that journey, but it's a journey of faith, not the journey to faith. I described the mm-hmm. journey to faith, but that begins the biggest journey of all, the journey of faith, which is so wonderful. All right. Oh, that's very helpful. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, we could just, I, I just feel like we could talk forever. But here, here's one question I had reading your book, Oz, and I wonder if you've heard uh, this. This might be a, uh, somebody's negative reaction, perhaps, because I notice how you begin the book, very open-ended. You... Uh, it's it's open to those who are coming with many different belief systems and none, as you mentioned. Um, and, and yet, as you work through the book, you uh, you you work through these phases to where things narrow down into where finally. If you're really seeking and asking the rational questions, I mean, you, it's almost like you have to believe. Now, is that um, – are you being criticized on that by uh, trying to complete everybody's journey uh, before they no, take no, it? Uh, whatever. No, no. I but, wanna, but, John, no, you, you read it carefully. That's exactly what I said I don't do. In other words, you have a lot of Christian books. You take, say, the famous theistic proofs, the arguments for God. You can sit in an armchair in an afternoon and you're persuaded or not persuaded. The whole argument's in the book. And I specifically say at the beginning, now I'm describing as a prospectus the whole journey. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no guarantee where you'll end up. Now, I say quite openly in the introduction, too, I'm a Christian. Everyone has some standpoint, so-called standpoint theory today. You can't write from nowhere. We -hmm. all write from somewhere. You can't write from everywhere. None of us speaks or sees things from either nowhere or everywhere. We're all speaking from somewhere. And I say quite openly, I'm a Christian. People have read my books. No, I'm a Christian. But I'm describing the journey. You could well be a more confirmed Buddhist at the end of it, or a convinced atheist or an animist at the end of it. In other words, the search is existential. Someone has to take their own life and existence, think it through for themselves, and stake themselves on it. I can't do it for them. So I'm not giving them an argument. You know, one, two, three, therefore four. Now you're convinced. No. People have got to do it for themselves. But unavoidably, I say, I am a Christian setting it out. You have to do the thinking. Okay, so you have to do the thinking, but then you do, 
you do certainly talk about why you are a Christian and, and why you have come to these conclusions. Yeah, well, uh, actually, I talked about why they could discover that, so if they do the search okay. in that way. But you take, we, we talked earlier about stage one, a time for questions. You take stage two, a time for answers. That's a comparative stage. In other words, there's a supermarket of options on the table. And big three families, you could become a Hindu or a Buddhist or part of the New Age movement in California. And if you go that way, certain answers flow out that way. Or you could go to the secularist family of faith, atheism, agnosticism, materialism, and certain answers flow out that way. And I was saying, if you look at the Abrahamic answers, above all in the West, Judaism, the Christian faith, you have distinctively different answers that way. Hmm. So hmm. take something precious to the West today, human rights. Most people believe in human rights. But where on earth does human dignity and human rights come from? You can't ground it in Hinduism. You have a really hard time grounding it in secularism. It comes, Hmm. of course, from the Genesis Declaration that human beings, you can be terribly handicapped or totally uneducated or someone who's suffering in some terrible, they still have a worth and a dignity because they're made in the image and likeness of God. And that's a Jewish and Christian understanding. So that second stage is comparative. People have questions. They want an answer. Looking at this and that and the other, and they're saying, where is an answer that's adequate for my question or illuminating enough to throw light on my question? And that's comparative. And, you know, I've seen many people searching that way, but many of them, swing round towards the Jewish and Christian, the biblical faiths, because they provide the deepest, richest answers. But there's no proof of that, or even a watertight attempt at arguing that in the book. Wow. Is, it, is there a such a thing as the biggest question? No, I don't think so, because everyone's different. Hmm. Um, you know, some people are moved by guilt or fear or the longing for purpose in their life. Or C.S. Lewis surprised by joy. You know, there, there are many different things that trip people up and set them off as seekers as there are people who seek. So I don't think there's any one big question. Um, there's undoubtedly you come back to human dignity a lot. You come back mm-hmm. to the problem of evil a lot, especially in the world, all we're seeing in yeah. Ukraine at the moment. Uh, there are certain recurring ones, and nothing's deeper than you know, human dignity and um, the problem of evil. But people have as many different questions as they are seekers. Wow. Uh, well, I hate to say it, but but uh, we're basically out of time. I... I uh, I like this one statement, and I think I'll throw this to you at the end to explain. This is a pretty obvious statement, but I'd love to have you talk about it a little bit. One of the sentences in your book is, God can only be known with the help of God. Can you talk about that? (laughs) Well, John, there's a huge divide. If you look at all the philosophies of life, worldviews, and so on, and the religions, there's a huge divide between those who see the answers 
as humans ascending towards an answer above all through reason. So whether it's the Greeks or, say, Bertrand Russell's atheism, it's all, or even, say, Gautama Buddha's Buddhism, all figured out on the basis of reason alone. Hmm. Now, the Jewish and Christian faith say no. Reason cannot take you to God all by itself. You think of relationships. You and I are friends, or anyone who's very close, like a husband and wife. You only know each other when each person opens themselves to the other. And that's true of the deepest relationship, our human relationships to the God in whose image we've been created. So in the biblical Jewish and Christian view, you have to have reason. Yes, you use your reason all along, but you need revelation. In other words, God disclosing himself, revealing himself, opening himself up to us. So Seen that way, you can never discover God by reason alone. Mm. And that's why I think the theistic proofs are a failure. They're just reason alone. You need mm. to have the Lord opening himself to us as you search for him. Mm. Wow. Uh, it's just always so rich to talk with you, and I always wish we had more time, but we'll just have you on again. Thank you so much for talking about your book and uh, I want to encourage everybody to look for it. Uh, it's called The Quest and probably they the can find quest. it anywhere. The, pardon? Mm-hmm. The or Great just, Quest. The Great Quest. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yes. The Great Quest. Uh, invitation to an examined life and a sure path to meaning. Um, they can find it anywhere, right? Pretty much. hope so. Yeah, Amazon, certainly on Amazon.com, yep. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Oz. Well, Lord bless you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening. And uh, uh, we pray that, that uh, this book will, uh, will help people along uh, in many ways in their own journey of faith and to faith. I like that. Well, thank so, you, John. Always a pleasure to be with you. Okay. God bless. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Catch with John. Oh, he's amazing. Have All right, us. John. Thank you. Thank you. It's always amazing. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Go get the book. You too. I, I hope you have somebody. a wonderful time in Hawaii. <laughs> and I hope, I hope your daughter goes through that painful time past doesn't she realize it. Thank you, Oz. God bless. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>